Welcome to Ira's Everything Bagel, where I talk with intriguing people about everything, their passions, pursuits, and points of view. And my guest is passionate about dogs, especially one named Spike, Emmy Award-winning TV talk show host, producer, and writer Bill Boggs. He's author of Spike Unleashed, The Wonder Dog, Returns as Toad to Bill Boggs. It's a novel that showcases Bill's brand of absurdist humor and social commentary. The novel takes readers on a roller coaster ride of comical suspense mixed with wry observations. And it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and all the usual places. For everything about Bill Boggs, go to BillBoggs.com and you can follow him on Instagram at RealBillBoggs. And Bill, welcome back to the show. Well, it's good to be back, Ira. Um, you're out in Vegas, one of my favorite places. At some point, I was thinking, I could tell you a great Ed McMahon and his girlfriend and me story in Las Vegas, but the Statues of Limitations has not run out on Ed's death yet, so we have to, we have to wait another 10 years to tell that one. Yeah, no, I agree. So, Thank you for having me. Thank absolutely. You having me. Wanted to have you back on The Bagel Show, and let's remind our listeners and viewers that you had a previous book called Spike the Wonder Dog, and now this one is Spike Unleashed. Yeah, the, the first book, I, this is, these are the... Um, the large print editions of the book. Too. <laughs> yeah. like, this, this is the first book, The Adventures of Spike the Wonder Dog. And on that book, you may remember, had politically incorrect humor. Yes. We don't want people to think these are children's books now, do we? <laughs> no. That's my gay madness. It always sneaks in. And so the second book, this is a sequel. You need not have read the first book. The second book, Spike Unleashed, deals with um, continued adventures of Spike the Wonder Dog who really is a commentator on um, our society, on our humanity. He, the dog uh, essentially tells a story, uh, as, uh, as in uh, The Call of the Wild or The Art of Racing in the Rain, those two books that featured the dogs. So wait so a minute, Spike, so wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait, are you I'm, comparing yourself to Jack London? Is that what you're telling me? No, I'm comparing uh, Spike the Fang, the dog, in that book. Spike tells me the story. I'm not responsible. I understand. Yeah, as, Bill, as Bill Maher said, this is a great thing. You can offend anybody. I'm the dog. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. How did you come up with, with the second idea for the – well, you didn't come up from it. Spike told you the story. How, when did well, you first start talking to dogs? That's the question. When did you first start talking to dogs? Well, the dog's talking to me. It's That's even worse. True. You know, it's easy to talk to your dog, but when they start talking back, you have a problem. Uh, I, um, as you were kind enough, Ira, uh, to give me that nice introduction, most of my life I've been identified as a TV host, a producer, executive producer. I was on the Food Network. I executive produced the Morton Downey Jr. show. I had travel channel shows. I had 15 different shows. And last one was on PBS. When it went off the air in 2016, and I'm, you know, just starting to hit the big 7-0, I thought, I'm, what I'm going to do here is uh, I'm going to focus on writing now. If somebody wants me for TV, fine. I've been chasing jobs all my life, Ira. Got a few, missed a few, but I've had a wonderful career. But I actually began in comedy. I began with a comedy team, managing them, producing shows for them, stage shows, writing a little bit with them. And Patrick and Tarsus, who went on to write for Bob Newhart and Mary Tyler Moore and write the Muppet movies and create ALF and, and so forth. So, and all my life I've been in the comedy since I was in high school on the comedy team, college in the comedy team. 
And so I thought, I'm going back to comedy. So really, I identify myself now as a writer of satire. And believe me, in the society we live in, Ira, there's a lot to satirize. <laughs> Trust me on that, pal. So the book is really the, my mission. As a, and I'm sitting in the exact place where I wrote about half the book right now. This is where I sat down and read a couch with a little thing in front of me. The, my mission is just simply to make you laugh, to make you laugh at our society, and and and, and satire does. Send up things in our society like celebrity worship, and there's a lot of inventions in the book, and then there's some very serious stuff like the, the anger in our society today. And Spike runs through all these things, but with wit, a plum, and it's all designed to make you laugh. And and the best thing anyone can tell me is that they read the book and they had some laughs, and that's really the best thing anyone. And, and that's what most people have told me. Is there a danger that Spike could be canceled in this kind of culture that we have? Spike could easily, Spike could easily be canceled. Anyone could be. I could say something on this broadcast. I could think of a few things to be easy to say to get canceled. Why would I want to do that? I like what Tarantino said when he was on um, uh, Real Time with Bill Maher. Uh, Bill says, what do you do? These people don't like this. I said, well, Tarantino said, you and I have different opinions. I don't engage with them. But humor today is in trouble. Oh, I agree. Uh, Absolutely. They are, are in trouble. Um, as, let's see, Tom Cotter, who finished uh, second in America's Got Talent, he actually lost to a dog, <laughs> said to me, I can get on stage any night, any night. And he basically has a pretty wholesome act. And I can say one thing that somebody on the 18th row didn't like and they'll do everything they can to vilify me, Ira. But in, within 24 hours, people can be coming at me. Why did you do this? So I'm I'm pushing back against that. I'm saying, wait a second. We have the spike, and I are saying we have so many problems in our society. Let's just lighten the hell up and laugh a little bit at each other. And I know this may be an out of date notion, but maybe maybe I'm an out of date person. But people tell me they love the fact that the books are politically incorrect. They like the fact that Spike is calling it as he sees it. And they like the fact that they're that they're laughing about it. The experience you get from reading this book is like a roller coaster ride where hopefully there's a, a laugh out loud on every page or every other page. How long, did, the goal. How long did it take you to write the book? Well, uh, that, about a year and a half, a year and three quarters. I had a pretty disciplined schedule. I said, I wrote the book in the afternoon. So I would usually do everything I get my exercise in the morning, do what I had to do, have a list of stuff. But by 1.30, 2 o'clock, I'd, I'd lie down for about 15 minutes, look at the clock and say, okay, when it hits 1.30, I'm getting up. I'm going into the desk area and I'm going to start writing. I'm not going to be looking at the phone. No one's going to be calling me. And so then my normal session would be about 90 minutes, two hours, and probably the happiest 90 minutes or two hours of the day and of the week. If you are essentially a creative person, and I am a creative, I've lived, you wouldn't want me as your dentist, your lawyer, <laughs> you wouldn't want me flying a plane, I'm not your business manager, I'm a creative guy. And, and, and the experience of writing a novel, Ira, is like having movie going on in your head. 
It's a very visual book. is very visual. It's like I see it, and then I write what I see. Was the hard part the rewriting and the editing once you got it all down? No, actually, because that's that's, that's more because Bill, Bill, that's more technical than the creative part of writing. I know that rewriting and editing is also creative, but it's it's also more mechanical in a sense because you're editing to make sure punctuation is correct, etc. Well, you know, I don't really care much about punctuation and punctuation. I can call in the punctuation expert here. <laughs> but what what is crucial to me in editing is pace. Okay. So the way I would start my writing would be I'd go back to where I started the day before. Like if today's Monday, okay, what did I do Sunday? And then I would tighten it up, punch it up. Oh, this could be funnier. I could be a little shorter, and then continue my writing for that day. I actually, once finished the book, went through it three times from start to finish to try to tighten it and improve it. And that, it, it just, I, it's difficult to explain. The first day when you finish the book, like two days before, right. the first day you go back at the very beginning, say, holy Jesus, this came out of my head. Now, that's not bragging. If the, no, look, it's, a, it's amazement. It's amazement. Yeah. Yeah. So, more than likely, because someone watching right now who has an idea for a book, right? And you have two ways you can go, all right? The pain of discipline or the pain of regret. I want to live a life where I'm not experiencing the pain of regret. What you want to do is set a day. On this day, I'm going to start and see what happens, right? Nothing happens until you get something on your computer or something on the page. Then you can always go back and improve it. But unless you, as I did, get up, walk into the room, sit down and do it, you'll be a person who's been, you know, I had an idea for a book once. And yeah. I, never quite got around, I never quite got around. <laughs> Sage advice. And I'm starting a rumor that you wrote the book on an IBM Selectric. No, I wrote the book. <laughs> I wrote the book on my Mac uh, MacBook Air. No, I know that was a that was an attempt at humor. Of since you mentioned you were in your seventies, well, you went over my head with that one. Uh, no, I I thought you had a Remington manual. Then that would have got Actually, the first book I wrote was called At First Sight, Ira, and it was a romantic comedy love story. Actually, it was believe it or not, optioned many years later by Renee Zellweger, who loved the book. But never got made into the movie. But that's all right. That happened. That happened. I wrote that one by hand. But uh, I've improved since then. You alluded earlier to, well, you didn't allude. You actually mentioned about getting into your 70s. And I think, and this is not to make it sound like I'm praising you, because I hate to praise people unless I have to. No, you can, you can sound like you're praising me. Oh, okay. I, fine. I, I, you're not going to bother me. <laughs> I'm not going to blush. The lighting's <laughs> bad for me to blush. That's Can't true. Remember, get a ring light. So anyway, <laughs> no, but I think you're a good example for, <laughs> you're a good example for people who wonder about creativity and creativity and age. And the fact that people, I think in some people in their minds think that when they reach a magic age of say 50 or 60, that suddenly they can't be creative or produce anything. And clearly that's not true. And clearly in your case, that's not true. No, I, it, I feel I've, I've lived a, a life completely dependent on my wits, my speaking ability, 
my ability to communicate with people, ask questions, and come up with, come what, up with ideas. On that basis, how did you succeed? That was a joke, Bill. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, I, who's, you know, success is, is relative. It's relative, you know. You know, I'm one of those, Bill Boggs, is, is he still alive? Yes. He's, I, yes, he, he, he's a writer now. Let me verify that you're alive because I follow you on Instagram, and you're always, it amazes me, you're everywhere. I think sometimes you're only on the East Coast, and all of a sudden you show up on the West Coast. It's just you're well, everywhere. I, I have them, actually. I, I, I might as well tell you that Please. I have a, a couple. I have a couple of cyber equivalents who are out there <laughs> as Bill Boggs. Even now, you can't be certain you're actually talking to the actual Bill Boggs. True, and that's actually one of the things in the book. There's a character <laughs> in the book, Andy, who has his assistant is virtual Andy. He actually has the, the highest level. Chat DBT assistant <laughs> walks around the apartment and does stuff like that. Uh, there are a lot of inventions, a lot of inventions in, in the book, Spike Unleashed. Uh, one, one that sends up a little bit of the celebrity culture is a, a celebrity. There's, one of the characters is this young guy who used to be an intern for Bud and Spike on the show who has got all these inventions going. And let's mention, and that, Bud is the, and let's mention that Bud is the owner of Spike. But Bud is a, a talk show host like me right. who has a dog, Spike the Wonder Dog. Spike the Wonder Dog becomes a big TV star. He starts out in the first book just getting housebroken. Now he's now he's approaching his maturity in, 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 in the second book now. And now he wants to be TV station broken. Excuse me, I missed that. I, I, I said now he wants to be TV station broken. Yeah, yeah. but anyway... So, yes, it, Spike, that's how it starts in terms of the local TV station. That's why yes, I referenced it. All, well, that, that's in the first book. Anyway, I was starting to tell you, so some of the adventures that are crazy characters in the book. So Andy comes up with this idea for celebrity breath strips. <laughs> now, we all know those Listerine breath strips, <laughs> right, you know? Right, But these breath strips, have, if you put one in your mouth, gives you the same breath scent as your favorite celebrity. <laughs> So, you know, millions of women around the world can be breathing and smell like Taylor Swift, right? right? Who have George Clooney, whoever your favorite celebrity is. Now, the point is that's satire because actually God's truth is if someone came up with that idea, and they did, this thing would be a huge hit. Of course. There's also another invention in the book called the sex bit, the S-E-X-B-I-T which is like a Fitbit for sex. So <laughs> couples wear the thing, and it gives them each time a satisfaction score, how well the man did with the woman, how well the woman did with the man. And then they can compare their score to themselves with other men and women that, that, they're, <laughs> that they're going at it with at all times. That's the uh, that's a sex bit. As, as one of my editors said, Bill, some of these adventures are actually going to happen. <laughs> There's more, but there's more. Are you amazed, though, that getting back to my original question, which you did answer in a way, but I always like to circle back. Are you still amazed that, again, you're in your 70s, so that you continue the creativity? That's my point, is that you're showing that you can. Are you amazed that some people think that they can't be creative past a certain age, whether it's 50 or 60 or whatever? Age is no, no more of a limit than youth, in truth. And it's easy to say once you once you hit your early seventies, right? Right. But I would say, well, McEnroe once said to me, "People think the older they get, the better they think they were." <laughs> I, actually, I feel 
because I'm totally dependent on writing that I'm probably in a way at, at a creative peak in, in my life. The goal, this, this is the, the book, Spike Unleashed. The goal of this book and the goal with the first book is to sell the property as an adult animated cartoon series. And Ira, if we do that, bagels on the house. <laughs> that's, that, that's my goal at the present time. So we want to get Spike Unleashed to uh, in as many hands as possible. I want people to read it and let me know what they think. You know, Mike Reese, who was one of the creators of The Simpsons, read the book, Advanced, We Got a Book. And this is what he said. Talk about Asian experience. He said, Bill may have spent a lifetime in entertainment just to craft this scathing, hilarious look at popular culture. Bill's written an amazing, funny book and so hip. And that's the creator of The Simpsons. Nice. Yeah. I bring that up to indicate that you can be at a creative peak at any point. I, I, I think Nicholson said, you can end up selling yourself short. You think, well, I'm getting old now. I can't do this. I can't do that, which becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, a term I learned at the University of Pennsylvania many years ago. I can't say how many, but I did. Well, the irony is that you were, you were given plaudits by a TV person. And as you know, the TV industry, especially in Hollywood, there's age limitations there, artificial age limitations there, where they yeah. well, tend to get every, younger and younger. The ageism without question exists. Yeah. I mean, I aged out of being on television for, right. without question. Right, right. Like people say, how come you're not on TV anymore? <laughs> and you know what I say? I'm too old looking. And they go, what? No, I said, no, that's it. I'm you too know, old looking. It's interesting. I have to tell you, most most people that are have been on television, especially as show hosts or news anchors, they would never admit to themselves that's the case. You have admitted it, and you, you're, in other words, you're realistic, which is really a great liberating feeling. I, I look in the mirror and I see what I'm seeing. You know? <laughs> but what yes. you could do, Bill Box, I'm is that. Shaving in the morning, it's like I'm shaving my father here. What's going on? Well, what you could be doing, though, is because guess what? What? If you don't want to do video, you could certainly do audio. There's nothing wrong with. Radio and podcasts and any of that stuff. I love, I, you know, something, one of, one of my fantasies, which I know I could, in fact, make come true if I wanted to devote the time to it. Right, right. I'd like to have about a two-hour, one or two-hour, once-a-week radio show where I would just play music that I liked that would cross many genres, you know what I mean? Right. Speaking of that, I was thinking, we mentioned briefly about comedy as the, the walls are, are are closing in on comedians, and one of the things I'm trying to do is push those. Push, I'm trying to push those walls back. I thought about. Tell me what you think about this, Ira. I think that comedy is going to become a niche market like music has. If you go back to the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, music was more or less un more or less universal. Mm -hmm. But now you've got variations of country music, variations of jazz. Variations of rock, variations of this, of pop, of that, and the other thing. I think that because so many different kinds of groups are offended by this kind of humor, that will only be people who can are allowed to do this kind of humor will convey it to those people who wouldn't be offended 
because the people who are doing it are people within that category. Well, I, I think a, does that make any sense? Yes, I understand exactly what you're saying. I would take a broader approach that if we if we devolve to that point, which we're closely getting, I think what you'll see instead is si what I call silo humor. So, for example, if you are a on the left political wing, you would get humor that was given to you by left political comedians. If you're a right. Which uh, we have already. Yes. Have and when you have the right, you'd have only the right. It's very hard to have someone who can appreciate both sides of it. Unfortunately, on television, for example, most network comedy shows are generally written by left-wing comedians or uh, writers. So you're only getting one, which is why they don't get as big of an audience as they would if they appeal to more of America. Because there is a larger constituency out there, which unfortunately... That doesn't happen anymore. So I, that's where my view would be that you really would need to expand it. And at least you have the silos initially, and hopefully you would get some humorists that would be, or comedians that would appeal to all segments. But you're right. I mean, people get so offended about so many things so fast. And with social media, as you said earlier in your example, where if Tom said one thing and somebody in the fifth row was insulted, they get on social media and tweet about the fact that they were insulted by or offended by that yeah. situation. Uh, there's no, yeah. no question about yeah. it. One of the things that we want, we, we have a situation in the book. Uh, I want to go in. It's very difficult to describe whole scenes in the book. Of course. That's right. Let me, let me just say that one of the things that happened is that there are people are protesting outside of performance because they don't like the title of some of the songs that are going to be sung. Like I've got you under my skin. The people with, protesting scleroderma uh, or, or, and so forth. So, so there's songs and they're protesting outside. And one of the, this old timer says, you know, I've lived through the golden age of Broadway, the golden age of radio, the golden age of television. I'm now living through the golden age of sensitivity. Yes. That's, that's exactly. where we are. Right yeah, now. Exactly. But and that's, now. I have an example of the way as a satirist, which I am that, that, that you can, you can send things up. Absolutely. I mean, you, you think about it. How do we manage to win World War II when everybody's so sensitive now and we're much better off than we were then? I mean, you were fighting for survival in those days, and yet somehow that's all gone. And we just sit around staring at our navel and being offended. Or not everybody, of course, but a lot, I, more and more people. Yeah, are. I, uh, you know, you know what really actually offends me is um, violence. Violence offends me. This horrible thing that happened in Africa with the children and the machete. I have to, I, I have to, you know, I'm repulsed by that. Words and thoughts and making fun of things personally rarely, rarely offends me. But um, I, I think that there's an unrealistic look at our society today when in, in certain areas, we're trying to protect children from, from from things, so many things. And all those kids have to do, like books. We're taking books out of libraries because of fear they're going to affect children. All the kids have to do is pick up their phone and they have instant porno. There seems to be a disconnect between what parents are trying to do and what the reality is for children. Right. Well, th but there's a further distinction. There are some books in libraries that are not appropriate for kids. Yes, they could access it on, on their phone. Well, but there's they stuff should... all over the world that's not appropriate. But, right. You know, if you watch television any night, yeah, somebody, right. how many murders you're going to see right. in a week, 
That's not appropriate. There's a lot that's not yeah, appropriate. Yeah, correct. But you have that virtual signaling from Hollywood at the same time all this violence is shown on films, television, movies, etc. So it's yeah. crazy. But you have another book in you, I think, and I don't know what it's going to be called. And sure, Spike will talk to you about it as well. We have a few minutes left, but I mean, I, I, yes, I, I wanted to know when Spike first emerged to talk to you. Do you remember when that happened? Well, I actually, the, the, the whole series, the book starts, the first one, in High Point, North Carolina, where I have my own TV show. I had a dog on that show, an English Bull Terrier. That's the kind of dog that Spike is, the white dog, you know, the eye patch. <laughs> and that dog was got more mail than I did. He was on the show. It was usually popular. He got killed right before I went oh. to New York. It was a big break to do Midday Live, 90 minutes of live television on the East Coast out of New out of New York City. So the idea was, what if Spike hadn't gotten killed? And what if in today's world, a guy like me and Spike went to New York and they both became TV stars and Spike became a big social media sensation. So that was that was the idea for the book. But what, what happened was, as soon as I sat down to write it on this piece that we're talking through right now, the voice of, of Spike came through me. The, the actual, com I'd never written, I've written comedy, I've done, but I'd never written with this specific, judgmental, observational point of humor that came through me. And it was, it was a, a thrilling thing. Okay, now I have to ask the important question, is the better half, is your better half happy for the fact that you leave for an hour and a half and sit down at the computer? Well, actually, my, my better half, that Jane, known as Lady Jane, right. just uh, dumped me on March 22nd. So now, yeah, me, a guy like me. She I didn't know that. She wanted to be wrong again. She had never been married. She wanted to be on her own again. Uh, I think she was astounded that I was able just to sit down and, you know, and write two books. She saw me work on this every day, and I know, I know that she's proud of me. She was never threatened by it. My God. She, you know, an hour and a half. If you're threatened by that, you're ruled by insecurity, and Jane was not an insecure <laughs> right. person. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. I didn't know that. I probably wouldn't have asked the question otherwise. No, no. It's perfectly okay. You know, I did. I, you know, it's interesting. When it happened, it's not what I wanted. She just said, I don't want to live together anymore. I want to get my own apartment. It's not what I wanted. I was very sad. I shed a tear. And for the first couple of days, I turned to music. And some of the songs, like, for example, Cycles. Mm -hmm. By Sinatra, you know, my gal just up and left last week, Friday. Got, I know it may not sound funny. Things couldn't get worse than now, but the truth is life does go in cycles. If there's one constant in life, it's change. So my life has changed. Change is inevitable, Ira. Growth from that change is optional. So I'm in the optional period now of a new era of my life. And... Um, Right now, the summer is being devoted to Spike Unleashed, The Wonder Dog Returns. That's a subtitle. As told to Bill Boggs. This, you know, I've had some of my greatest times ever in Las Vegas. Ever. I love, that's where you're at. You're in Yeah, Vegas. I'm based here, and that's where Iris Everything Bagel emanates from as well. And so, you're yeah. in the Nevada Hall of Fame, right? Yeah, the Broadcasters Hall of Fame. Broadcasters yes. Hall of Fame. God right. bless you, Ira. That's terrific. Well... Um, I just at some point I would like to just come on and just tell Vegas stories of stuff that's happened. Yeah, in Vegas. we'll do that. I think that's a great idea. Let's do that. Over the years, and one of my favorite days in Vegas when I was on the Food Network, <laughs> right? Whole afternoon with the Smothers Brothers shooting a show. <laughs> we went to two different restaurants. 
We did another one with Tommy Toon. did one with David Cassidy in, in Vegas. At the same time, I was covering boxing for Showtime. I was actually was at Caesars Palace Hotel and another hotel for an entire month working, getting paid for it. I love it out there. <laughs> I really haven't been in quite a while. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Emmy Award-winning TV talk show host, producer, and writer Bill Boggs. He is author of Spike Unleashed. The Wonder Dog Returns as Told to Bill Boggs. The book is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all the usual places. And for everything about Bill Boggs, go to BillBoggs.com, and you can follow him on Instagram at RealBillBoggs. And Bill, thanks again for being on the show. It was a delight. Ira, I thoroughly enjoyed this, and that's not hyperbole, because I don't know what hyperbole means. <laughs> <I know>. mean. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're terrific, Ira. Thanks, See Bill. You in the, see you in the future. Absolutely. Bye-bye. And join us every Thursday for a new schmear on Ira's Everything Bagel.